0: Good morning everyone. Thank you for having me. It's a real joy to be here. I have just really been encouraged through the years to be able to to spend time in fellowship with your pastoral team and, and in particular I have known Michael and Jamie West for a little over 20 years and I was shaped during those years, so the early years of my friendship with Michael in so many different ways that I still see today and so it's really exciting for me to, to see this church and meet a lot of you. I heard a lot about you, a lot of good things, by the way. And uh, so I'm really excited to be here, so thank you for having me. I've been a pastor for 25 years, and at the end of last year, I transitioned after being the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there for 17 years to lead this ministry, Practical Shepherding, full-time and it's allowed me to have some extra time, especially on Sundays, to be able to to come and be in places like this, in this church. So thank you for the invitation and allowing me to to be here. If you have your Bible, you turn to Titus chapter 2 with me. Titus chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'd like to share a, a bit of a burden that I carry with me as I work with Churches and pastors really all over the world. As Todd, Pastor Todd mentioned, I was in Brazil last week. My commute home will be much shorter today, and I'm grateful for that. Titus chapter 2. And the burden that I feel as I work with many churches and pastors is I see this growing movement for churches to have only one generation present in the church, so for example, this shows up in two main ways. The first are often historic, old historic churches that maybe have, were thriving at one time but have declined and maybe just have a few people left in that church, and they're typically of the older generation. And then on the other side, you find a lot of church plants springing up everywhere. And oftentimes, these are led by, by young, vibrant pastors, pastoral teens, trying to go to a certain city and area and plant a church, and try to reach people for Jesus. And oftentimes, those churches are made up of the younger generation. And as I've worked with both of these groups, something fascinating has been discovered. They both agree on something really important. They believe the hindrance to the ministry they're trying to do is the other one. And it causes a lot of these churches to represent only one generation in them. And I'm convinced that the New Testament has an entirely different design that we see. And I believe we'll see that in our passage in Titus chapter 2 this morning. As we dig into Titus, though we're jumping into this book, I want to give a little bit of context. Paul is writing to his young pastoral protege, Titus. Titus and Timothy are two of the young proteges that he wrote letters to that we have the benefit to read in God's Word. And Titus is, is one of those. And here's the main message of the book of Titus, that the gospel of Jesus Christ that we believe will affect our behavior. So the gospel we believe actually will affect our behavior. It will show up in the way that we live our life. And so Paul is writing, excuse, Paul is writing to Titus to explain to Titus how to establish churches in Crete where Titus was, and he was to be working with churches and establishing churches in that particular area. And so in this this brilliant letter that's three chapters, but it's just full of incredible things to look at, as we'll see some today, Paul writes to Titus to help him understand really what is God's design for the local church. And I'm convinced that this design that we're going to look at is the same. It doesn't matter if it's in the first century or if it's in the 21st century or if it's in Somerset, Kentucky, or Brazil. It doesn't matter where it is in the world. The same design is to be seen in every church, even though it would be different cultures and languages and those kinds of things. And I believe that we will see that in particular today. So before we read Titus chapter 2, take your eyes to Titus chapter 1, the first, first chapter. I want us to see the flow of how we get to Titus 2. Paul is writing to Titus. And again, as I mentioned, he's writing about how to establish Churches in Crete. And the very first thing that we see in this chapter to establish these churches are who should serve as pastors. Isn't that interesting that that's where Paul starts? That must be a really important thing. So if you look at verse 5 through 9, Paul begins to explain to Titus, here's who should serve as as pastors. And he gives that explanation. They are to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who would contradict it. We see that in verse 9. Then he switches into, and here are these rebellious men that the pastors are then supposed to protect the churches from. And he describes them in a really interesting way. He says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their deeds. Remember what I said the purpose of Titus was? The gospel we believe will affect your behavior. That's weaved in and out of this letter, and he says those who oppose this, those who the pastors, the shepherds, are to protect the church from are those who profess to know God, but they actually deny him by their deeds. And that's chapter 1. And this leads us to chapter 2, and Paul shifts now to talk about something different about this design. And in chapter 2, we see the roles that everyone else are to play in the local church, in every local church, and how they accomplish that. So, if you'll turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 1 with me, I'm going to read this entire chapter, so you will be helped to follow along with me. Verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take a moment and and pray and ask God to help us today. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. How clear it is. How specific it is. And we ask that your spirit would now come move in each of our hearts, align our hearts to your word, and give us a passion to want to follow Jesus by obeying it. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Here's the main idea I would like for us to talk about today. To see God's design for the local church, and that it is anywhere in the world, at any time period, that we see captured in this passage here. So if you're taking notes, here's the main idea I would like to focus on today. God's design for the local church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. God's design for the local church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic local church. If you take your eyes to Titus 2, you will find there are two main parts of of this chapter. If you look with me in verses 1 through 10, that is the first part of this chapter. Verses 1 through 10 you may have noticed describes the different kinds of people that are assumed to be in these churches, their roles in Crete, and in the churches in Crete, as well as how they display the gospel in those particular churches. The second part is in verses 11 through 15. So take your eyes there, verses 11 through 15 demonstrate what the gospel actually is that transforms these different groups to be able to do what Paul instructed in verses 1 through 10. So again, remember the purpose of Titus. The gospel we believe will affect our behavior. And all of a sudden in chapter 2, we see that, that model, the weaving in and out of the good news of Jesus, because that's what empowers us to do whatever we are called to do. So verses 1 through 10 talk about those roles, the different groups in the church and the roles they are to play. And verses 11 through 15 show us how they are empowered to do that. And that is the work of the gospel that is in each of our lives. There's one other disclaimer I want to put up here. If you notice the different groups that have been mentioned in verses 1 through 10, they are not different churches represented. In other words, Paul is not talking about a church of just old men and a, church of ju- a different church of old women and a different church of young men and then a different church of young men. He's assuming, notice that when he writes this, he's assuming, he doesn't say, hey, if there's younger women, have them do this. He's assuming they're all in each one of these different local churches. And he's writing to say, here is their role, their part to play in this design of the church. So the transforming power of the gospel is displayed in the presence of three categories of people I want to give you that I want you to notice in verses 1 through 10. Here's the first category we see. Old and young. We see old and young. If you take your eyes to verses 2 and 3, the older are to teach and train the younger. The younger mentioned in verses 4 through 8. And I want you to notice in verse 4 It's directly said of the older women, but it's also implied with the older men towards the younger men. As the godly character described to both older and younger men is very similar. Add to that you have Paul writing to Titus, instructing him on how to lead the churches and set the churches up. Paul, an older pastor to a younger pastoral protege in Titus. So the older and the younger are present, And the older have a particular role to teach and train the younger. So that's the first category, old and young. There's a second category, men and women. Notice that with me in those first opening verses as well. Now men and women are both mentioned here. But notice they play a unique, distinct role in the local church. He's explaining specifics on the role that each of us are to play as men and women. I also want to highlight something else. That would normally be scandalous being read in the first century, even though it's not today. Notice he puts men and women and their value on an equal plane. This is important because before the church in the first century, women were seen as second class citizens in that culture. So when Paul writes to Titus and Titus is setting these churches up, there would have been a reaction of, of women are equal, have equal. Role and value in the church? And the answer is yes. There's different and unique roles that's highlighted here with men and women. But it's important to see that women are to be seen as just as valued as men in the local church. And as I work with a lot of churches and pastors, I'm finding that is not the case. So women, I just want you to hear that you have an equal value as men in this local church. They need you as much as you need them to be able to be a healthy, vibrant church. And God has roles for each of you in this place. So there's men and women here in this category. Also, one other observation to make in these opening verses, that there's different instructions for men and women. Part of that's because of the different roles that he's telling Titus that men and women are to play, but it also even touches on the different kinds of sinful struggles that maybe men and women have. And, and there's a variety of those, because I, it, it seems to point to the fact that there's sinful struggles that men would have that maybe women would not, and sinful struggles that, that women would have maybe more than men would have. And, and Paul is even highlighting those things in the specificity of what he's saying to them in these particular instructions. Don't let anybody tell you that God's Word is not clear and specific in the instructions and the things that it highlights here. So we see old and young are present. Men and women are present. Here's the third category, and you'll find it in verses 9 and 10. Take your eyes there. And that is bond, servant, and master. Specifically instructed, the bond servant is to submit to the masters in everything, and it explains how to do that in a godly manner. Now, this is a little trickier because there's really no modern equivalent to this relationship in the modern day for us. But here's probably the closest modern equivalent to this relationship that's being addressed is probably a boss-employee type relationship. But in the first century, this relationship in verses 9 and 10 represented all kinds of complex issues going on. It it represented a socioeconomic diversity as well as issues of prejudice that existed in this particular category. Here's the point in verses 9 and 10 being in this passage for us. Paul is saying that the rich and the poor were all together in the same church. He's saying the somebodies of that culture and the nobodies of that culture were united in Christ and in the same church. He's saying the least of these and the greatest of these are all together in the same churches. And Paul assumes all of these are present. And he's writing and telling Titus, to instruct the old and the young, to instruct instruct the the men and the women and even the, the bond servants and the masters on what they are charged to do and how that is accomplished. And how is that accomplished? Take your eyes to verses 11 through 15. That is the answer on how all this is accomplished. Because I don't know about you, but if you stick a bunch of old and young men and women and a bunch of people from different backgrounds and and cultures, and class, and all those kind of things, they really don't get along very well in themselves, do they? So verses 11 through 15 are crucial to have in this passage, because it explains how we are able to bring all these different kinds of people together, and somehow it works and thrives. It's because, verse 11, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation. Jesus Christ came to earth. He gave himself for us. Verse 14, on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for us to totally satisfy the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He rose from the grave three days later so that we could have eternal life to be with him forever. All because of faith in him. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit indwells each of us and empowers us to do things we normally could not do on our own. For example, get along and even love people who are really different than we are. And that's the power of the gospel at work in our life, in the church. And what does it do? It moves us to good works. If you notice that in verse 14. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What are the good works? They're in verses 1 through 10. They're the things that Paul is instructing Titus to tell these different people in the different churches to do. And from this, we find God's design. And his design is to bring everybody together from different places into a local church. And the power of the gospel unites us all to be able to not just get along, but actually love each other well to the point to where the world looks at Grace Baptist Church in the way that you would love people in this church different than you and say something is different about those people. And it's because the gospel brings us all together because it has saved our souls, it has transformed us by the Spirit, and empowers us to live this out in the world and among each other. So what I would like to do in light of this passage is look at some implications of it. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you five ways that Grace Baptist Church can pursue God's design that we see here in Titus 2. Five ways that Grace Baptist Church can pursue God's design to be this kind of local church. Number one, the older are to seek and mentor the younger. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. As a pastor, I just had a wonderful privilege to pastor and shepherd some, some amazing older members of the church. And one of the things they taught me is I got this privilege to care for them. As many of them were longtime members, the church I pastored was about 80 years old when I went to pastor it. And many of these members had been there for almost that amount of time, the, or the about 50, 60 years. Some members had been here that long. And they used to tell me about how they were the ones that did all the serving in the church. They're the ones that, that did everything to make it run. And they hit a certain age where they physically could not serve the church anymore in that way. And one of the things that they helped me see is that they felt useless in their older age in the church. Because they could not serve the way that they had in the past. I want you to see from this model here that there is a clear design and role that older men and women in every local church are to play. And it is a very important role. And it is this, the older are to seek and mentor the younger. What does that mean? It's not as hard as we think. Simply be available for the younger. Invite them over to your house and engage them when you're here on Sundays. Talk to them, ask them questions about their lives, get to know them, get together with them, read scripture and and pray with them, take an interest in them and pursue them. If they don't respond, the younger don't respond well, when you pursue them, well, we're young and foolish. We need to be taught that we need to learn from you. Do you notice I put myself in the younger crowd just then? Did you notice that? There's no age gap mentioned in the passage, so I'm not sure exactly what it is. If you don't think you have anything to offer this church, or even the younger in this church, as older men and women. I want you to know I I disagree with you, but you know what? My opinion doesn't matter. Apparently, the Apostle Paul disagrees with you. That there is a clear design that he has for each one of you. And even if you physically cannot do what you used to do, there is a really important task for you to play. And in the churches that I see that have a bunch of younger people and no older members, there is a massive gap and effectiveness in the way that that it it affects its health in the church when there's no older members in the church. So older members seek and mentor the younger. That is Paul's charge to you. And there would be a tremendous benefit from the younger if you would pursue and do that. So that's the first thing. The second way you pursue this design. The younger are to learn from and care for the older. The younger are to learn from and care for the older. And I want to challenge the younger people in the room for you to pursue and care for and pursue and learn from the older members in the church. Just because they may not be able to help you with your iPhone does not mean they don't have other things to offer you. I had the privilege to pastor an amazing woman. Her name was Tilly Roberts. Tilly lived to be 106 years old. She was three months shy of her 107th birthday when she went to be be with Jesus. And Tilly was this amazing lady. She had her mind and her, her wit, her sense of humor, all the way up to the end. And I want you to know, I spent a ton of time with Tilly as a young pastor. And I want you to know that as All the time I spent with Tilly, she never taught me anything about the atonement. In all of our conversations, she never changed my mind of my end times view. But I learned a whole lot from Tilly about life, about marriage, about suffering, how to walk with Jesus through difficult times, how to trust him when you don't know what he's doing, as she lived this long, faithful life following Jesus. There was a time where I took Tilly and some ladies to lunch. So we had a group in the church of of older ladies. They had been friends for a long, long time. But they all hit their 80s and 90s, and none of them could drive anymore. And so they all still wanted to go to lunch. So I borrowed the, the van from my wife for the day, got the van and drove around, and I picked up each one of these ladies at their house and then drove them there's about five or six of them, and drove them wherever they wanted to go eat lunch. Then they always wanted to go to Cracker Barrel. So I was like, all right, we'll go, to, we'll go to Cracker Barrel. I'm in Somerset, Kentucky. I assume people can relate to that, that everybody wants to go to Cracker Barrel all the time. So, so we go to Cracker Barrel, and as we're waiting for our food to come, you know the, the creepy antique far, old farm tools on the wall all over the place in Cracker Barrel, you know? I'm a city kid. It messes with me when I see it. Tilly starts explaining to me, what each one of those tools are and how they're used. Because she grew up on a farm and she's old enough to remember when there weren't any cars. And she knew exactly what all those things were. It was just fascinating to listen to her. And I thought to myself, where else could I hear someone talk to me about these particular things of all places in Cracker Barrel? Younger men and women in the church, there are, there's a wealth of knowledge, wisdom, to learn from the older in this church. If you will take advantage of pursuing them and loving and caring for them and trying to learn from them. As somebody who got to pastor and be with a lot of older members in the church who have now gone to be with Jesus, if you don't take advantage of the time while they're here, you will regret it because you will get old enough to realize the value that they would have been to you in your life. And I also believe, friends, that, that God, the redeeming work that God's doing in the gospel in the church is, is redeeming relationships, redeeming parental relationships, grandparent relationships. Adopted parents and grandparents in Christ is a significant real thing. Look to the older to care for you, to teach you. Reach out to them. And I, you will be blessed by what you experience with them. Number three, way that you would pursue this design as a church, be content-driven with music. Be content-driven with music. I spent almost 10 years of my ministry serving in music ministry in large churches. And one of the things that they taught you in this environment is that if you wanted to reach a certain kind of person in the community, then you had to cater the music style of the church service around what they want, or what kind of style that they want. And I watched this be the pursuit of the church for years that I was serving in, and and I learned a couple of interesting things. Number one, when you cater to one group with music style or preference, you alienate every other group in the church. And then you also really do not accomplish, typically, what you're wanting to accomplish in bringing in the very group that you're trying to reach on top of that. So when I went to Auburndale Baptist Church, there were 30 elderly people in the church when I went there 18 years ago. And they sang hymns out of the Baptist hymnal, and somebody played the piano, and that's how we sang. That was the extent of the music there. And the average age was about 80 years old at the time. Ten years later, we still sang a lot of those hymns, added some instrumentation, the service looked uh, somewhat different, but we still sang a lot of the same songs. And the average age was 35 years old in our church at that time. What I learned from that is, is I believe it's a lie that if you want a certain group to come in, or even younger folks to come into the church, that the music has to be hip, cool, and contemporary. And I saw that, one, that that did not work in many cases, and number two, it alienated everybody else in the church. Why would I bring this up in regard to Titus 2? Because oftentimes music and style and preference becomes the division among generations in the church. And I'm convinced that if old and young, and men and women are supposed to be all in the same church, that we have to find some way to exist and come and worship together every week like we've done today. And I believe the answer is to be content-driven with our music. In other words, we focus more on what truths we sing, not so much about how we do them. Because if I pulled this whole room, every one of us would have a different musical taste and style and preference. We all know that. So how do we come together as different generations and people and different kinds of cultures and all those things? How do we come together in the same church? We unite around the truth that we sing about. And that's the thing that we focus on. We unite around the truth, and then out of love for each other, old and young, we compromise our preferences. We compromise in our desires for different styles and things. So here's a great test question for you to have when you leave church every week. Do people leave our service at the church talking more about how music was done or what great truths we sang about? And I can say, this is my first time on a Sunday service, I want you to know uh, the music was well done and I, I enjoyed the way that music was approached here. But I want you to know I'll be thinking about what great truth we sang today and have sung. And because that's what brings us together in the same room to unite around. So be content-driven with music. Number four. Embrace all kinds of diversity in your local church. Embrace all kinds of diversity in your local church. The focus of Titus 2, take your eyes there one more time for me, in the the presence of young and old, specifically, is focused on multi-generational church, but we do not want to ignore what implications are there to have verses 9 and 10 also in this particular passage. The diversity extends past old and young in this passage to a, as I mentioned before, a socioeconomic diversity, a, a a class issue, a wealth issue, or a poverty issue. It crosses all those dimensions to bring everyone together in the same church. And why is it important to highlight that in verses 9 and 10? Because the eternal picture in the book of Revelation is that there will be those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around the throne worshiping Christ. Our local churches are to be a small taste of that eternity that we will spend together when we meet together and sing and praise and worship Jesus as we have done today together. So embrace all kinds of diversity in your local church. And every community is different, and I totally understand that. My my question to you would be, who is somebody you know that is different than you are? For whatever reason, that might bring that difference. And does it keep you at arm's length from them? Does it keep you from pursuing them? Because they're they're different than you. It would be risky to engage that. Embrace all kinds of diversity in your local church, I believe is a strong implication of what we see here in Titus chapter 2. Last one, number five. Way you can pursue God's design here at Grace Baptist Church. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Take your eyes again to verses 11 through 14 in the text. This is clearly what Paul is showing here at the end of verses 1 through 10. He says, bring all these people together, playing all these different roles. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's the power of Christ at work in us that will bring us all together. And without Christ, you and I both know, there's no hope that all these different groups of people would come together in a church and be able to love one another. But I want you to trust in the power of that gospel will unite you to even the most different people from you. best example that I could share with you is something I experienced years ago in our church on a work day. So we had this old, historic, beautiful building, but a lot of upkeep on an old, historic building. And so a couple times a year we would do, uh, have a work day where we'd, you know, we'd all come together and, on a Saturday morning and make a bunch of projects to be able to fix things and clean things. And, and hopefully an army can get a lot of that done instead of it being dependent on a couple of deacons to maybe try to do all that work. So we came together on a Saturday morning, and the church had this reputation for years, I mean decades, of having this beautiful landscape around it. But obviously, beautiful landscape needs a lot of work uh, on a regular basis. So there's some people who came to the workday who wanted to work outside in the shrubs and in the, in the trees. One of them is a young single guy. His name's Mike. Mike was Scottish. He came to, to the States for, for school, found our church, He's from Glasgow. If you know anything about Scottish people from Glasgow, they have a really, really thick Scottish accent. And they have to hang on to it. Otherwise, if they go home and sound like they're from Kentucky, they get made fun of big time in their home. So they work hard to hang on to it. Mike had this thick Scottish accent. Two other people wanted to work outside in the landscaping, Howard and May, who are longtime members. Howard's a deacon, and they've been members for about 40 or 50 years. And they wanted to go work in the shrubs. Now, Mike wanted to go work in the shrubs because Mike had actually done that as an occupation in Scotland. And Scotland is a beautiful place. If you've ever done landscaping in Scotland, you probably know what you're doing. And that's what Mike had done for work. Howard and May wanted to work in the shrubs because they planted most of the shrubs and the trees that were outside the church. Naturally, they want to invest there too. And I wasn't quite sure how these three would work well together. Because, you know, Mike was a professional landscaper in Scotland. And I'm not sure he would take instruction well from Howard and May. And let's just say that May loves to give instructions on how to do the landscaping around the church. So you're with me in my concern. I send them out, see what happens. They work all morning together. We all come together for lunch after about three or four hours of work, and Mike comes in, and Mike says he has to go, so I'll walk outside with Mike, and Mike shows me all the work that they've done around the church, and Mike just went on and on about how much he loved working with Howard and May uh, in the shrubs. He'd walk over here, and he said, we were working in these shrubs, and and I heard about what was going on in the church when these shrubs were planted. We went over here, and, and they started telling me about all the fights that were happening when this tree was planted in the church, and He just got this big history of the church, and he just loved it, and so he left, but I hadn't talked to May yet until the next morning, and she comes up to me after Sunday school. She has a big smile on her face, and she says, boy, I really like that Mike. He is a good worker. I have no idea what he is saying, but I love him a lot. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Do you see the power of the gospel in that? Two people, different age, gender, nationality. I assure you, they could find tons of reasons to dislike each other. But they somehow were able to come together on two things. Their love for Christ and their love for our church. And with spiritual eyes, they were able to look upon the other and see God's design, and embrace the sweetness of that relationship, though very different from each other. So brothers and sisters of Grace Baptist Church, you need each other to declare the power of the gospel in this church. And the more you love and care for each other, especially those who are very different than you with different interests and backgrounds, the more that gospel gets displayed to this community and to the world. I have two final applications I want to give you to, uh, to consider from this text and these five ways to pursue the design. Number one, celebrate the evidence of a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church here. Take a minute and celebrate the presence of that. I look out, and I see a lot of different people. And I see old and young. I, I, I hear of ministries where older connecting with youth and mentoring and caring for them. I, I'm hearing all kinds of things that points to Grace Baptist Church doing a really faithful job of pursuing this design. And I want to encourage you. I'm sure you know of other things and problems and things that bug you. But that doesn't change that. But celebrate the design that is here. So often we gauge church health and growth and thriving on things that God does not. And I'm convinced we put way too much focus on things like numbers and money and some of those other superficial things. Because I believe if this is God's design that we see in his word, I believe he evaluates our churches based on that design. And you need to celebrate that I believe he smiles on this church after all these years to see old and young present, loving and pursuing and caring for each other. You need to celebrate that today. Number two, the thing I want to challenge you with. Be challenged to grow where you need to grow according to this design. If you're an older man or woman in this church, what younger person do you need to pursue? What younger person do you need to pursue again? Maybe they didn't respond well the first time. Maybe you just need to see that your role, your job is not done yet and what God would have for you here. And maybe you need to pray and seek the Lord on what that might be. And I assure you, knowing your pastoral team well, they would love to help you figure that out to go talk to them. Maybe you're younger and you think the older members are holding the church back. Maybe you need to take a risk and go pursue one of them to get to know them. Go to the house, see where they live, hear about their life. They may have a thing or two to teach you. And you can fix their phone while you're there, while you're at it. Maybe for you, it's to pursue that neighbor that you really have not pursued because they look so different than you. They look different, they act different. So you have not engaged them in any way. Maybe for you it needs to be to step out and try to build a relationship with somebody who's very different than you, either in the church or maybe somebody outside the church to be able to invite them to come be a part of the church. Whatever it might be, I want to challenge each person in this room to leave here with one tangible thing because this, t- this passage is tangible, isn't it? It gives clear direction. Leave here. Resolved before the Lord that I will take this one step towards my part in, just in pursuing this design. And imagine if everyone took one step towards that design. What God might want to do here in the future from that. So be encouraged and celebrate the evidences of God's clear design here. But friends, also be challenged to step in to what he might be calling you to in light of this design. So let me take a moment and pray for you in that way. Let's pray together. Lord, I praise you for the clear work in this church that's happened for many years. What a testimony of your grace and power that this church is here, present, in this building, made up of all of these different people. And so Lord, thank you for the way you build your church around the world. And Lord, I pray that you would move this church forward in a way that pursues your biblical design. That this church would magnify the glories and excellencies of Jesus Christ in the way they would love one another, in the way they would proclaim Christ to this community and to the world. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.